Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. This has been a little bit of a hard time for my family, and I know this is something that we all go through at various points in our lives. We had to say goodbye to our dog, Daisy, our beloved pet, uh, and it was quite sudden uh, last weekend. She was only eight years old. Uh, it was very unexpected, uh, but I want to thank uh, the church and the con- community and the congregation for keeping us in your thoughts and prayers, and we're getting through this together. She was a sweet pup. She came into our lives uh, about a year before the birth of our first child, and she was with us through the birth of all three of our children, and she was a wonderful dog to those babies. And I think perhaps God brought her to us for that purpose, uh, to have a sweet uh, presence to help us raise those, two, those three children into, into their childhood. But it leaves a hole in our hearts, and uh, this sermon, uh, this text, this cup of cold water, Um, She's on my heart today. So let's go ahead and begin uh, with prayer. Almighty Creator, by your hand, all things, all living creatures were shaped and called good. Descend now and give us a word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In the three years that... Auntie Sahida Nadim lived in my office, uh, my church, my previous church. And by lived, I mean lived. She couldn't leave the building. So that office was her bedroom and her kitchen and her living room and her bathroom and everything. Uh, She told me so many stories uh, about her life. She has been a devout Muslim from birth and she continues on that path today. I've met very few people with the courage of faith that Auntie Sahida had. One of the questions that I would get put to me by attorneys over and over again uh, to relieve her predicament is, why doesn't she just convert to Christianity? Sahida was living in our church because she was under a deportation order by uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, And she was to be deported to Pakistan, uh, where she was Um, had been sentenced to death, essentially. And uh, we wanted to keep her in Kalamazoo, which was her home. She lived in America. And uh, uh, the ironic thing is that the United States of America will extend sanctuary status to immigrants, even those who are here uh, against the law at, at times, if they are going to be the victims of religious persecution. And it's well known that in parts of Pakistan, Christians do experience religious persecution. So a very clear path to sanctuary for her might have been to make a profession of Christian faith and be publicly baptized. If she was a Christian, then she would perhaps stand a better chance of getting a sanctuary judgment. And uh, the odds of that woman converting from Islam to Christianity Uh, you'll see uh, the Detroit Lions walk out with uh, Super Bowl rings before that happens. It was was just something that just, it would not happen. It wouldn't happen. Um, Her faith was that powerful. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Could have saved themselves from the fiery, fiery furnace if they would have knelt down and denied their God. But they refused to. 
and they went through the fire. And likewise, Auntie Sahida, she could have simply renounced her faith and become a Christian and likewise might have been saved from a lot of torment. I think about that a lot when I think about my own faith and how difficult it is to be a Christian today in a nation where we see so many fellow Christians behaving so badly. I think about Sahida's the strength of her faith. But she told me a story once about when she was a young, well, a young girl, I mean she was 17, living in, in Pakistan, living with a family that she didn't know in a tribe that she wasn't a member of. It was the tribe of the man that she was to be married to. And so she was staying uh, betrothed at a household of people who spoke a different dialect and followed different customs than her. And she was really relegated to the position of a servant. And she wasn't usually permitted to leave the house. Um, this was a very, very impoverished rural part of Pakistan. But one day, while she was doing her duty, she saw a group of people, uh, men, women, children, some old, some young, traveling up the road, and it was very hot and dusty, and they looked disheveled, and she did what any good-hearted person would do. She got a pitcher of water and some cups, and she put it on a platter, and she brought it out to the road to meet them, to give them something to drink. And they were incredibly grateful, and they drank the water, and then they went on their way, and she went back inside the house. Now, when this family of, so-called family of hers, got home, she innocently told them what she had done, and she told me that they instructed her to take all of the cups and the pitcher that she'd used to serve them, and to smash them and throw them in the trash, and then she was beaten and locked in a room for the crime of having given these people water. She told me that she later discovered that these people were Christians. They were of a very small subsect of Christians who traveled through that northern part of Pakistan frequently as pilgrims, and that by giving them water, she had somehow defiled the cups and the vessels that she'd served them with, and this was her punishment. And that story must have stuck with her because she suffered no small measure of injustices, brutality, and cruelty over the course of her long life. But she remembered that story and she recounted it to me as she sat in my office beneath the sheltering roof of a Christian church, a church that had all on its own decided to break the law, to violate federal law in order to protect her. Uh, and she thought that perhaps this was Allah telling her of her kindness, that by being kind to these very poor Christians in that very poor region of the world, that someday perhaps there would be some Christians who would show kindness to her in a time of need in her life. I thought that was such a beautiful story. And... Um, Today, we think about ourselves as Christians, and do we show this same level of welcome and hospitality and kindness to Muslims, people who are traveling, people who are poor, different from us, on the road of life. Um, Jeremiah says today, and we just heard, that if you welcome a prophet, you will receive uh, uh, a word of peace. He, he, he says, Jeremiah says of, of Hananiah's prophecy, yes, that's all good stuff. Listen to that. That's important. But listen, this is the important part, Jeremiah says. You're going to hear a lot of prophecy about war. 
He says, prophecy about war is popular stuff. Sells a lot of newspapers. Actually, nothing sells newspapers these days. I should say it sells a lot of cable news advertising, right? Says, you're going to get a lot of that. But he says, listen, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. All right? Jesus follows this up today by saying, anyone who receives a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Do we receive prophets of peace? I think it's a lot more sexy to receive prophets of war. People who want to make us afraid and sell us stuff in order to keep us safe or prepare for some war that's coming. Uh, That's a good way to make a, a buck in this day and age. But for people who go out there into the streets and say, rejoice, the beginning is near. For people who preach peace, for people who say everything's going to be okay, I believe it. Those people, they don't typically get put on the news. Um, It's not a lot of money to be made in that, but that's the word of the Lord, that the Lord says there will be peace. Well, Jesus says, offer a cup of cold water to these little ones. Who are these little ones? Who needs a cup of of cold water? Did you see, um, I know many of us saw in the the wildfires that happened in Australia that are ongoing in Australia. Um, Did anybody see a photograph of the firemen offering a drink of water to a koala bear? Um, I know this was, I think it won uh, some awards for this photograph. It was a little koala bear. You know, we know what a koala bear are. It is gigantic, vicious creatures drop from the trees on their prey. No, I'm just kidding. They're little fuzzy little guys. They only eat eucalyptus. And um, the koala bear was so thin and dried out and so thirsty from the wildfires that it had come up to this fireman and the fireman had opened a bottle of water and the picture is of the koala bear drinking the water. And it's very sweet because we all love koala bears. If you don't love koala bears, I'm kind of suspicious of you. I, I think... Some questionable stuff going on. But I saw a photograph yesterday that absolutely blew my mind. And it was of a picture of a wildfire, similar setting. It was in Southeast Asia. And it was a fireman, and he had a cup of of water. And he was giving a drink to a king cobra. This is a 14-foot-long snake that would soon as bite you as look at you. King cobras, they're the big scary, you know, we're like, there's evolutionary stuff there. And this king cobra had made its way up to this firefighter and this, I think he was um, um, Bangladeshi, he'd got a cup of water and the cobra had put its head in the, and was drinking the cup. And then at the end you saw a picture of its face looking up at the man. And I think that any one of us would probably give a sip of water to a koala bear but I don't know if I'd give a drink of water to a king cobra. I mean, come on, you know? Jesus says, whoever even gives a cup of cold water to the little ones in the name of a disciple, well, they'll never lose their reward. I just spoke about how important it is that we use the 4th of July not just to celebrate America, but to celebrate Americans. And Americans are all different sorts of people. It's easy to love some of them, but it's a little bit harder to love some of the other ones. But I think that Jesus knows that the problems that we're going to be facing, the prophecies of war, are overwhelming. They can seem catastrophic and huge. There's very little that we can do. It's easy to give up. But 
we are instructed as Christians to give a cup of cold water to the, to the little ones. Who are the little ones? When I was a teenager, my sainted father told me a piece of advice that I think most of you know. This gets said by a lot of people, but he always said, if you want to know somebody's character, observe how they treat the wait staff at a restaurant. He said, that's a good indication of their character. People who are cruel to waiters are often broken inside. They have some, some, some issues that they haven't worked out, and you need to be cautious around them. I think that that's very good advice. I think extrapolating from that, what we're really saying is pay close attention to the way that people treat those who have no power over them. Pay attention to the way that people treat those who have no power over them. Your waiter's required to serve you and make your sandwich at Subway or whatever. And we've all seen the horrible videos of people mistreating wait staff and oh, uh, uh, flight attendants and people at, at, at airports and these, these poor staffers, they've got to get up and do this customer service job and people are mean to them. I'll say that 99.9% .9 of people are really nice. But there's always, because we have the internet now, you, you get inundated with videos of people behaving badly. I think that that's a very important life lesson. People, it's easy to be kind to the people who have power over you. It's uh, pretty easy to uh, sort of tug your forelock and, and scrape and, and be a yes man for your boss. They're the ones that sign your paychecks. But a measure of your humanity is the way in which you treat those who are required to treat you with deference. And so by being kind to them, I think you're offering a cup of cold water. I mean, it's not hard to do, it's a choice. What about those who have no power or authority over us, who can do nothing for us, but can't even communicate with us? I'm thinking here about animals, specifically animals. I, uh, I don't know, not to put too fine a point on it, but I eat animals. Uh, the great uh, 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 farmer Joel Saladin once wrote a book called Learning to Eat Your Friends. It's about his experience as a farmer, raising the animals and doing his absolute darndest to treat them with care and respect and honor their lives and give them a good life, knowing full well that they were going to be Sunday dinner at some point. We have a lot of animals at our house. Last night, it was about 10.30 at night, and I had, as is my tradition, fallen asleep on the couch watching a superhero movie. I woke up, I rubbed the dirt out of my eyes, and I was like, oh, what have I done? It's 10.30 at night, hours past when I normally go to bed. I'm a father of three. If the sun is setting, I should be setting too. And I was getting ready for bed, and I, I, I'd gotten everything ready, and then I remembered I hadn't closed up the chicken coop. I'd forgotten to close the chicken coop. We've got a bunch of new chickens. They're, they're teenagers, and they're kind of squirrely, and they need discipline, as all teenagers do. And so it's critically important that you close the coop up at night so they don't go out wandering and attract the attention of a, some kind of night prowler like a raccoon. And I had to put my shoes on, and it was raining. I had to put my coat on. I go all the way outside, I'm using my cell phone as a flashlight, trying to keep the rain off of it, and I'm closing up this chicken coop. 
because it's a small kindness that I can do for these birds. Birds that will never tell me thank you. <laughs> Not once. And I think about my dog, Daisy. Would that she had had 20 years on this planet. Would that she could have had a long life. But I also think about all of the adventures that we had together. The way that we were able to accommodate her. This big dog door that she had so she could have free reign of the property. The way that we let her sleep up in our bed when it was a thunderstorm and she was scared. The way that we were never shy with giving her treats and rewards and praise, even when she was exasperating. Trying to give an animal a good life. It's not profitable. It's not even required by law. There's no penalty for showing cruelty or indifference to the animals that make our lives possible. And yet, Jesus says, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to these little ones, truly I tell you, they will not lose their reward. They will not lose their reward. I think about that all the time. I think about Wesley, John Wesley's great quote where he says, do the, all the good that you can for all the people that you can, all the time that you can, the best that you can. I can't remember it, but he's like, just, just do the good that you can in this brief life that you've been given. I do think that that goodness extends to animals. I know that because it's in the Bible. Animals appear frequently in Scripture, especially dogs. God seems to have a soft spot for dogs, you know. Um, I was sharing this with a f member of this church who recently also said goodbye to a beloved dog. There's a great story in Exodus. Moses is standing before Pharaoh and railing and explaining what's going to happen if Pharaoh doesn't straighten up and get his act together. Moses says, in fact, when we leave, when we get up and go, not even the dogs of Egypt, not even the dogs will bark a warning. Not even the dogs will make a sound announcing our departure. Surely the Egyptians had guard dogs. Dogs were big in Egypt, dogs and cats. The dogs of the wealthy are trained to bark when people are sneaking around. But Moses says, when we go, your dogs will be on our side. And that's the way it goes. That's the way the story goes. God enlists the dogs of Egypt in this conspiracy to set free the oppressed people. Why? Well, because dogs are naturally ethical creatures. <laughs> I just made that last part up. I don't know if that's true. I just suspect it. I think it's true. But it seems to be part of the biblical narrative. Never lose the reward. Never lose the reward. It is easy to become hopeless. This week, we all experienced the horrible smoke that was in the air from the forest fires in Ontario. And it mingled with what should be a blessing this time of year, the dew, the rain, the humidity in the air, which blesses us with water after this terrible drought. And that humidity was filled with benzene and formaldehyde and chemicals that are a result of the smoke from these terrible fires. We couldn't even play outside. My kids couldn't play outside because of the smoke that was in the air. 
What a horrible situation we find ourselves in. And I cry out to God, the creator of heaven and earth, the first environmentalist. I say to God, what am I supposed to do? These forest fires, they're not even in America. They're in a different country, God. And God says, give a cup of cold water to the next little one that you see. In the face of these seemingly insurmountable problems, problems that require the political willpower of everybody working together, who am I? What on earth can I do? At no point in the New Testament, at least at no point that I can find, does God say, you are responsible for putting an end to the forest fires in Canada. You are responsible, you Nathan, are personally responsible for standing aside the train tracks of late capitalism and shouting stop and saving the planet all by yourself. Rather, God says to me, no, Christian, little Christ, your responsibility is to give one cup of cold water to the next little one that you see. That's it. That's your job. It is the great lie of American individualism that each one of us is somehow responsible for the burden of human sin. That's not what the Bible says. That burden was borne forth by someone else. Rather, our job is to use what we have when we can to alleviate the suffering of the next person we meet, or the next creature, animal, whatever. Now, we all know that if we all did that, the problems would solve themselves. I want to close with a statistic that blew my mind. I love math. I love reading and learning about math, specifically because I'm so bad at it. Are any of you fans of sports that you can't play? I, I am. I like watching hockey. and I'm, I've played it before, but I'm terrible at it. There's likewise, I like reading and learning about math because I'm so bad at math that it blows my mind. So I read this mathematician, and he did a study. He counted up all of the children that are currently living in foster care or currently uh, don't have parents are in the United States of America. And he compared it to the number of churches, Christian churches in America. And he revealed that if every church, uh, he revealed that if, he, the question was, if it, what happens if every church in America embraces one of these children? Just one child, adopts one child out of the foster care system, right? What kind of impact would that make on the number of parentless children? What he discovered was if only 75% of the churches in America took on the case of one of these children, we would eliminate eliminate the problem of uh, orphans, of parentless children in America. He did the same thing with homelessness, with people who live on the street. He found out that if 60% of the churches in America, 60% took on one person living rough, living on the streets, we would eliminate homelessness in America. That's 
the simple mathematics of the kingdom of God. It's not that we individually are responsible for fixing this thing. It's that if each and every one of us would simply give a cup of cold water to the next person we meet, we will save the world. And what's more, as it says here, from the lips of Jesus Christ, truly I tell you, none of them will lose their reward. None of them will lose their reward. What a great promise. What a great burden. What liberating word it is to know. All that's expected of you, Christian, is the cup of cold water. This week, let's do that. Let's just each commit to doing some, offering some cup of cold water to someone who has nothing to give us, nothing to offer us, but their gratitude. And I believe that in doing so, we will be praising God, not with our lips alone, but also with all that we have. Amen? Amen.